Welcome to the Powercast with Charlie Johnson. I'm one of the world's leading fitness and transformation coaches. I'm going to be providing you with the tools to build your ultimate body and mind. So welcome to another episode of the Powercast and today we've got a special treat. We've got Australian powerhouse uh, Matt Bartholomew joining us, fellow Muscle Nation athletes. Thank you very much for coming on Matt. Pleasure mate, thanks for having me on. Excited to have a bit of a chat about a few things all training, nutrition and stuff like that. Uh, so the context of today's uh, podcast, what we're going to go through, which will be fascinating, something I really want to pick Matt, Matt's brains on, is how to eat and train for superhuman strength. Because Matt is a bit of a beast. He's a powerlifter, uh, does a lot of powerlifting coaching, and he's got some phenomenal lifts. Um, and he's also got a, an awesome physique, which is, uh, like, all credit to you being superhuman strong and looking jacked as well. So that's sort of like my aspirations are probably where I'm looking to try and go with things now, being a little bit more functional and also like maintaining your, like your aesthetics as well. So that's something that sometimes you don't think goes hand in hand with a lot of powerlifters from what I see. I think some of them tend to get a bit sloppy with the way they look respectfully. Um, so this will be an interesting conversation to see how Matt maintains his uh, lovely good looks and uh, mental strength. So um, to, give you, to give us a bit of an intro into you, Matt, um, in terms of like lifts, give us some context, where you're at with the big three uh, and a little bit more information on yourself. Yeah, sure, man. Um, so for you guys out there who don't know me, I'm a powerlifter. I live in Australia. Um, I compete drug tested, uh, probably an important distinction to make. Um, I've been drug free my whole life. Uh, we get regulated by a cider over here. So I've been competing in powerlifting for about three and a half years. Been training for about six to seven years. Played a lot of footy beforehand. Um, done about 13, 14 competitions off the top of my by, head. By footy, do you mean soccer or do you mean uh, Aussie rules? Rugby Union, actually. Rugby Union, okay. That's not what I was expecting. I used to play Rugby Union. So what position did you used to play? Uh, inside centre on 15s. And okay. then in the centre, when I used to play a bit of sevens as well. Okay. Um, which is actually a really important part of the powerlifting journey, which I'm sure we'll get into. Um, but in regard to the lifts, um, I'm sitting at a 280 back squat at the moment. Uh, 180 on the bench press, pause. And a 290 deadlift. And that's all at under 94 kilos body weight. Um, and I'm 24. So that's where my lifts are at. Um, big goals in mind, which I'm sure we can talk more about, but that's, that's kind of me in a snapshot. Um, I've had the opportunity to, to compete nationally, won a couple of national championships as both a junior and, and an open. So we, we go from juniors to opens at the age of 23. Uh, and then I've also had the opportunity to uh, compete overseas and I've managed to uh, win at the Oceania Championships and the, and the Asia Pacific Championships recently. So... I'm having a good run, um, but lots ahead in the in the pipeline as well. Very exciting stuff. So in today's podcast, we're going to go through uh, for novices where to start, where to get strong, and then also from advanced lifters, maybe looking to transition into more strength training. And then we're going to go through in depth more into like nutritional approaches, recovery, how not to get injured, and some more uh, insights into some of Matt's knowledge. Um, so from where you uh, began... I'm going to gather that it might be a similar start to myself because I originally came from sort of a rugby background. Did that initially push you into weight training and then transition from there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I transitioned from playing more like football, like soccer, um, when I was a lot younger and transitioned into playing rugby union, which you know required me to train a lot more. I'm actually going to move inside. Um, and so, yeah, that was definitely a transition process for me um, where it required me to have a lot more physical strength and a lot more size as well. Uh, so it definitely encouraged me to get into the gym to start with. Um, so 
for lack of a better, I guess, comparison, that was definitely an initial intro into weightlifting, which is then over time, I guess, progressed into whether it be aesthetic based or whether it be more performance based, that natural transition has occurred. There we go. That's a little bit better. Just don't want you to get that reverb from the cockatoos out there. That's an Australian problem when you have cockatoos in the background. It's like, it's like being in a, a zoo in England. You wouldn't get that. So yeah, to kind of go over that again, it's, um, it was definitely that, that process of introing into the gym because the sport required it. You know, it wasn't necessarily, um, personal ambitions to get stronger or personal ambitions to look better. It was a young boat playing rugby. I don't want to get killed on the field. So I need to get bigger and I need to get stronger. Uh, it was a pretty simple necessity, so to speak. So yeah, that was very much an intro process for me. How tall are you out of interest, Matt? Uh, 179 or 180 around that. Okay. Yeah, cool. centimeters. Cool. That's a yeah, just under two foot. Yeah. And did you find that you responded pretty quickly to the weight training? Um, look, I, I think the answer to that is yes, but I think it was very much in response to um, my nature and my attitude and the amount of work that I did. You know, it's a matter of you can have two identical people who go to the gym one ticks all the boxes and one ticks half the boxes and naturally the person who ticks most of the boxes responds well. And you, you know, you, it's hard to sort of quantify whether that's a natural response or whether that was due to being relentless, you know? Um, so yeah, I definitely responded well. If I compare myself to other people, my age at the time, you know, through school. Um, and then obviously afterwards as well, I've continued to extend that gap on, on people my age for the most part. Um, there are other people around the country and around the world who, who are doing as well as me, if not better. And I'm sure they're in their own context in that way, in their own little bubble. Um, but yeah, I've always responded quite well. Uh, I think like anyone, I think I've encountered challenges. Um, the more elite I've become, I, I would personally um, term myself as an intermediate to advanced lifter because I compare myself to the very top who I would consider advanced. Uh, in the in the context of powerlifting, um, but yeah, it's a it's a hard question to answer in that sense, I suppose. But I'd, I'd say generally yes. And coming to sort of more specific advice for people lifting. So, in terms of like a, a training split, if you were a novice looking to get into training and looking into getting focused on more strength, where would you be looking to start? And what does your training split at the, at the moment look like, for example? Well, I think that um, if I if I rewind the clock a little bit to pre powerlifting, you, you can sort of see a timeline that has occurred for me. Um, and that sort of training has gone from extremely general to very specific over years and years and years. Um, and how that looks is as a team sports athlete, um, there's a lot of aerobic conditioning, anaerobic conditioning, uh, you know, other, other attributes that are necessary for things like rugby, agility and whatnot. And there's a resilience that you build in your body by doing this general training, you know, conditioning work, lots of different types of exercises. You're not necessarily going to specialize in, say, a squat or a bench press or a deadlift, which I do now. So that's really wide scope training. If I'm talking about an absolute novice, right? A novice that wants to be really good at powerlifting, the last thing I'd actually do is say, start powerlifting. Yeah, because 
Yeah, yeah. And this is where I think sometimes we miss the mark is we look at our elite athletes across all sports, across bodybuilding, across powerlifting, and we go, I'm going to train like that person. And sometimes that misses the mark. So it's a really good conversation to have for any novices out there that want to get really strong or who want to eventually feel like they're able to specialize in a sport like powerlifting. So my suggestion would be to focus wide and then get narrow across time. So how that looks is general conditioning and hypertrophy as your absolute keystones and building that base and building that ability to then specialize. Because if I take an athlete who, you know, two, two different people with the same height, one has 60 kilos on their frame and one has 80 kilos and the, and the difference is largely muscle. The facts of the matter is if they both have a similar ability to take on technical advice and practice in the same manner, the 80 kilo individual is going to outdo the lighter individual every time because they have a greater capacity to express force with the muscle on their frame. The, 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 the term we use is muscle moves weight. You can't work with what you don't have. So for novices, it's, it's a bit of a weird one. It's like, yeah, don't focus on the task you actually want to get good at just yet. Focus on the stuff that's going to give you a greater return in bodybuilding. You don't see bodybuilders training like powerlifters to get bigger physiques for good reason. Because specializing in the powerlifts, which are about being as efficient as possible and moving the most amount of weight, simply don't create the stimulus necessary to build the biggest bodies. The selection in the bodybuilding repertoire is going to be a much bigger variation much bigger range of motion, more emphasis on eccentrics, more emphasis on volume in the training. And that is the style of training I would point any novice in the direction of. And the way that might look is you break down a year, maybe nine months of that year is going to be focused. You still squat, bench and deadlift, but you're focused on hypertrophy as your main goal. And then maybe three months out of the year, you would focus on the power lifts, but it's certainly not going to be the majority of your work, which is backwards thinking to some people but you've got to have you know powerlifting is one of those sports where you absolutely have to have a long-term mindset um, because we often see that the best athletes uh, have been in the sport for maybe 10 or 15 years uh, and they've been able to build up the physiques that are strong and also the technical prowess and skill which takes a really long time to build so for a novice to kind of collect that for a novice, you genuinely want to get as fit and as big as you can in regard to hypertrophy, in regard to your work capacity. You want to be someone who's athletic, who can then implement the strategies for powerlifting with something. You've got to have some dough or like you've got to have some clay, you know? Would you say uh, aerobic fitness is an important aspect of powerlifting in terms of you talking about building capacity? Funnily enough, yes. That's probably underestimated, I guess, which is why, like, and when I made the comment to earlier being like, uh, that you're in very good shape and like you're a decent nick, you've got abs and things like that. Whereas like controversially, a lot of powerlifters, people would look like watch West Side Barbell documentaries, things like that. And everyone's a bit soft, if that makes sense. Totally. And there's no doubt that there are kind of two avenues and there's very much a new school approach or new age approach to powerlifting. And that's that idea of muscle moves weight. Whereas for a long time, it was like the bigger you are, the better, full stop. Um, put on weight no matter what it is. And mass to it, mass. that's it, man. And to a degree, that is true, to a degree. Uh, there is a diminished return at some point, though. And I think we're seeing more and more top-end natural lifters and also unnatural, but I'm talking more about natural lifters who are 
like you said, in good nick, fit, lean, mostly muscle, who are rising to the top because you got two people in the same weight class and one's 110 kilos and 10% body fat and one's 110 kilos and 25% body fat. The capacity for that leaner individual to, to move weight and express force with the greater amount of muscle they have is beginning to, to rise to the top. And there is a fine line I'll mention there too. There is, there is too lean for strong. Absolutely. There's a nice middle ground there, I believe, where you're able to do work, recover from work in the acute sense. I'm talking set to set. Recover from work in a more longer term sense. I'm talking session to session, week to week. Someone who's able to recover better seeing out an eight-week difficult training phase versus the counterpart who's a little fatter and a little less fit having to deload at week six and how that translates out into long-term, like I'm talking five-year progressions, right? So it's definitely becoming a thing. And back to the aerobic question, the aerobic capacity is like the baseline for a recovery. So your ability to recover uh, between sessions is absolutely in the aerobic ballpark. If your uh, body has a better ability to get oxygen and nutrients around the body and it's more efficient, it's less stressful for you to recover from the same work. Um, and that ties in with your nutrition. That ties in with your health because health is another thing. Um, we can't forget about health, even though sometimes athlete endeavors do cause some sacrifices at times. Um, more often than not, we do want to take care of our health because that's probably why we got into lifting weights in the first place. 100%. I think some solid advice there. In the practical terms, um, Matt, what would you suggest people look at in terms of things to build their aerobic capacity because obviously if you if someone was to go balls out and do tons of hit every day that could have a negative impact on obviously their recovery abilities in the cns at the central nervous system what um what sort of things do you do with clients you coach in powerlifting what, what would be your approach yeah so it varies and it also depends what phase of training they're in so again if we look at say a powerlifter who's prepping for a competition you might have three general phases, one which is going to be more focused on building capacity, building muscle, and then a slightly more specific block, which begins to ditch some of those things which are more general and less specific. And then we move into our peaking block, which is not really worrying too much about those things and more so trying to be really specific to the task. So in some of those first blocks, we're going to be encouraging even in our accessory work, so our non-squat bench deadlift work, we might structure that even just simply in, in a circuit format. So that's requiring the athlete to get through the work with less rest. And you might look at four to eight exercises in a session that are structured in that way, which pretty much just causes an elevated heart rate for 30, 40 minutes of, that, of the end of that session, which is aerobic work. You know, we don't have to actually be going for a run or a bike or something like this. We can make simple adjustments to training, which simply put, they say, you know, the heart is a dumb muscle. If effectively you're elevating the heart rate by doing something, that is aerobic work, you know? Um, and what we essentially want to try and do is we want moderate intensities with moderate rest times, with moderate intensities. And we're just trying to keep that heart rate up. And we're asking for recovery on a, you know, 30, 40 minute basis. And that, that's an aerobic session off the back of maybe some really hard hypertrophy based work. You're going to get, you know, two birds with one stone there. That's uh, quite often the way I'll do things. And then the second way is more so like incidental aerobic work. So for a lot of big powerlifters, I'm talking about more about dudes and some girls too, but more so with the dudes, um, going on a regular 
decent pace to walk is sometimes enough to get the heart rate elevated to a point that we're in an aerobic zone. Um, you got to think in context, working your aerobic capacity doesn't mean you have to be mega fit, right? Like it doesn't mean we have to come out of this like a CrossFit athlete and then start specifying. It's about understanding that there's going to be an effective dosage. And then there's going to be an amount of aerobic work that's going to begin to take away from your strength training because your body is really good at specifying in a couple of things, say getting stronger and getting bigger. But if you then ask it to get fitter and faster and all these things, you're not going to get maximal expressions of all those things. You're going to be able to pick maybe two, you know, like maybe getting bigger hypertrophy training and getting fitter, but you're probably not going to have the space in your training to also train really heavy with that. So you've got to kind of pick your battles. So my, my advice would be have intention in your phases is what we call periodization. So when we periodize our training, if I have those phases, like I mentioned before, be intentional. This phase for the next eight weeks, I'm going to improve my aerobic capacity and I'm going to focus on hypertrophy-based training. I'm going to pick the right rep ranges. I'm going to pick the right amount of sets per week. I'm going to hit my body parts twice per week, something I wouldn't necessarily do in a more specific powerlifting phase. And I'm going to grow and I'm going to come into the next block with those positive attributes that I can use. So periodizing your training, incredibly important. And that's where I would point you. Hypertrophy-based training, incorporating some circuits as your aerobic stimulus. And would you keep the aerobic work away from the heavy strength training sessions? Uh, well, yes and, yes and uh, say that again, the last or bit. Or would you have it in completely different phases? So for example, for three months, you focus on hypertrophy and then you'd have the aerobic work with it. And then maybe three months, for example, you focus more on strength training, you drop the aerobic work back a lot. The best way to explain this is to picture uh, like a stovetop with burners and you've got a finite amount of gas that you can use to turn flames up or turn them down. And so it's essentially what I was explaining before. So in a phase, you might light up that hypertrophy flame and light up that work capacity flame, and you've got the strength one on a dimmer, and it's still on. So you're still working on squat, bench, and deadlift to a degree. You're trying to keep the skills honed in, but you're certainly not pushing it and lighting it up. In your next phase, what you might choose to do is really turn down that work capacity uh, aerobic building uh, flame you keep the hypertrophy high and then you're going to just turn up that strength training so you're able to kind of turn a couple up at a time and the other one has to just give rather than turning them on and off um, we're just changing the ratios a little bit and just allowing that that natural flow and the word we use is potentiation so we want to potentiate the, the, the blocks that are following essentially the work i'm doing now is going to contribute to the work I do in the next block in some way. So I build bigger muscles in my quadriceps, my glutes, my adductors, a lower back. Okay, next block, that's going to help me move more weight in the squat, you know? Um, so that's kind of the way I like to think about it is more that dimmer concept or the, or the, or the burner concept. Um, and generally, like I said, I'd say two physiological adaptations to be targeted is fair. Um. For someone who, say, for example, is a little bit more of an advanced sort of style lift, to say for someone who's been competing in uh, like bodybuilding or has more muscle mass on their frame, who's maybe done more of a traditional bro split, if they were looking to try and focus then on strength, how would you look to transition someone like that into uh, more of a powerlifting style approach or if they wanted to try powerlifting, for example? Like yeah. they've already got the muscle mass in place, but they probably need just more of the, the movement patterns within the realms of safety, if that makes sense. 
yeah, good question. And I love these clients because they're a lot easier to um, find that objective progress with um, because like you said, they've kind of got the clay, uh, they've got the muscle mass to work with and they just haven't learned how to use it quite yet. So if I had to say that the two major things that contribute to a great power lifter, one is the muscle mass and two is the connections between the brain through the central nervous system, the innovation of the muscles that allows someone to fire the right stuff up at the right time and perform the lifts that we do in competition well. And how we get there is a lot of practice. So frequency is probably the one thing I would adjust about someone's training program who has come from a more bodybuilding background to a powerlifting background. So, you know, when we, when we, when we look at the squat bench and deadlift, it's standard to do each of those lifts twice a week in a powerlifting split. Um, if you looked at more of a bodybuilding, uh, power, uh, sorry, a bodybuilding training program, you might see those appearing once a week. You'd see, you know, some, something like an incline dumbbell press as a secondary pressing movement. You'd see a Romanian deadlift in there. You'd see a leg press. You know, these are the things you'd see in a bodybuilding plan. We transition that into increasing the frequency of those competition lifts and giving the opportunity for practice and improved skill in that person. And what we're going to see is a improved expression of the force that already exists or the capacity for force development that already exists. And that's a really exciting process actually and really rewarding for someone who's worked really hard for the muscle mass they've accrued. Um, that, that's the first thing I would do. Um, the other thing too is we, we, we then have the technical adjustments to the lifts that you see in powerlifting at the extreme. So we see people optimizing their leverages in many different ways, which we don't see as much in bodybuilding. And again, when you look at bodybuilding and you look at powerlifting, they're literally opposite ends of the spectrum. In bodybuilding, we're trying to use the least amount of weight possible to create the biggest amount of uh, stimulus. Whereas in powerlifting, we're looking to do the total opposite in that we're trying to um, be as efficient as we can and ensure that the most amount of weight is the least difficult, <laughs> you know? So we see things like the arch in the bench press. We see the wide grip hands in the bench press. We see changes of hands of um, hand placement to optimize mechanics. We see the low bar squat. We see the sumo deadlift. We see flexion of the thoracic spine and protraction of the shoulders to artificially lengthen the arms in the deadlift. And these are all the things that we would begin to teach someone who's come from a bodybuilding background on top of giving them the opportunity to practice more frequently. Yeah, some very, very solid advice there. Um, an interesting topic we haven't covered yet in terms of side of training. Do you do much work in terms of core stability and core strength? Is that something you look to like incorporate specifically? Because I remember, like, not that this is something I ever preach. I went for, a, I did a one rep max with deadlifts. I think I got like, I got 300, which was a goal. And it literally crushed my core like a Coke can pretty much to get it up. Where I had the leg yep. drive and the upper back strength, but the, the middle core strength didn't want to take it. And it wasn't a particularly... It was an ugly looking deadlift. And I don't think many people like conventionally who probably aren't powerlifters, if they're going to do something like a one rep max deadlift, which isn't something I'd recommend. It's not normally the prettiest of sides. Um, do yep. you do much in terms of core stability or core strengthening to help with the big lifts? Yeah, definitely. And look, there are a couple of ways this comes about. One's a bit more organic. Naturally, if you're doing the squats and deadlifts in, in an intelligent way, in the way you're programming it, 
there are demands there for the trunk that are specific to the lifts in doing them. So naturally the core has demands placed on it and training simply beltless for a lot of lifters can be good. Um, outside of that, personally, I do quite a lot. So I'm lucky enough to have a coach who's also a physiotherapist. So he will prescribe um, core work in the various planes in my program. And then on top of that, I also do once a week, I do Pilates on a reformer outside of my training. And the reason I do that is control of your spine, pelvis, shoulders, uh, in dissociation of each other is really important uh, skill to learn in lifting. So Pilates for me is, is the reason I do that. But essentially the core joins all of that, you know? So the ability to breathe well, to, to brace using the right part of your core, um, and to move different parts of your body without moving others, definitely important tools. More important for some people than others, because some people out there are really just built exceptionally well to power lift. Um, and so the, the demands placed on their core maybe aren't the same as someone who's less well built. So the, the question is one that changes with each person, um, but it's certainly a consideration, yeah. In terms of the Pilates you mentioned, is that a set program you get from somewhere or you, you created yourself? So I actually go and do one-on-one. -on -one. Um, so where I get my treatments um, at a place called Balance Health and Performance in Australia, um, they, they do manual uh, therapy on me, um, treatments for any little things I've got going on. And then they also have um, practitioners and instructors who will take me through um, Pilates in a specific way and rather than it being programmed it's more of a block to block or week by week hmm what do we need to improve about your movement and how can we help you get there with Pilates uh, and naturally that becomes a really difficult core session effectively uh, as a byproduct but that's not really the goal um, but it happens anyways. 100% and do you find that was one of the next episodes we're going to come on to is that uh, preventing injuries with powerlifting because you're doing the Pilates and creating so much core stability, you're managing to really like anchor so your hips in your scapula. Do you find that's a superb way to prevent injuries and in like a pre preventative method? Yeah, definitely. I think that there are a couple of pillars to this. So the first one is how you move. Um, no matter how much people preach, any technique is fine, which is actually a thing people push. Um, there is always going to be a more optimal way to move or there, there is a most optimal way to move, which is going to create the least amount of stress on the structures we don't want stressed. So technique is one of the biggest things in preventing injuries, in my opinion. Um, what goes hand in hand with that, though, and is incredibly important to mention is the amount of work that you do relative to that is also very important. So there, are, there there's a variety of technique that is accepted within powerlifting, and I, and I really back that. What's important is being really conscious of what different types of techniques or what different types of builds of a person create what kinds of stress. And then in line with that, a good coach will program in accordance to ensure they can try their best not to get injured. Injuries happen, but that's one of the biggest things. And then on top of that, like we've been talking about, there is probably a little bit less kind of hardcore evidence to back it. But from an anecdotal standpoint, when I am getting my treatments and getting looked after body wise when I'm doing my Pilates and feel confident in my movement and have the capacity to move well in those ways I explained, whether it's physical or mental, that definitely brings a confidence to my lifting, which I believe surely helps me to stay away from injury. Hard to say, yeah, this thing prevents injury, but I would say that for me, it's certainly a big factor. 
Um, again, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a very sciencey world, so I, I don't use absolutes often. Um, but I would say that I wouldn't be wasting my time if I didn't believe in it, you know? 100%. I, I, um, if you look at the best people in the world and anything they do, it's like the debate on fasted cardio. It's like, is fasted cardio more optimal for fat loss than doing cardio any time of day? If you look at it from a bodybuilding side of things, if that wasn't optimal and people didn't think it was optimal, why would all of the best bodybuilders in the world generally probably do their cardio fasted? And if you look like success leaves clues is a very good saying. And I would agree a hundred percent with what you were saying in terms of, um, in terms of from the injury prevention things with the uh, rehab, uh, rehab work and like deep tissue, that makes a big, big difference. So I think it's a, even if it is from a psychological aspect that will have, an effect on you uh, being able to move better. And even it's that law of attraction thing. The more you think and focus about something, the less like, less likely you can have a problem with an injury. Massively. I think that uh, what's really important as we kind of get, I guess, more and more overwhelmed with science and studies and concepts and things that are proven, you know, half the time nowadays, someone posts something or says something and someone says, got to study to back that. And whilst that's true, like you said, we've also got a wealth of what you can call data which um, you know is is backed by results, is backed by producing consistently, you know, champions or producing top end bodybuilders or top end powerlifters. And whilst we wouldn't necessarily take a broad brush and say the way Usain Bolt does things is the way, or you know, the way Eddie Cohen does things is the way, or Arnold Schwarzenegger, right, in the various fields, there's probably something to it. There's probably something worth paying attention to. Um, I think one of the biggest things that I try to back as a coach is keeping all these things in perspective. And as an athlete is your experiences are actually the most important because if they're producing results that has credibility, even if that completely um, goes against what you've read in a study, you know, so it's worth keeping your eyes open. It's worth paying attention to and understanding that, yep, there's, there's, there's good literature out there, excellent literature out there, but how often do we see a study come out that totally defies something that we believed in for five years? You know, like we think about something like BCAAs, everyone's talking down BCAAs these days, but rewind three years and everyone was preaching from the top of the towers how great they are. So, you know, that's just an example. So it's important, you know, long story short, we keep our eyes open and we keep analyzing and we keep developing our own ideas. Turning to like a nutritional side of things, Matt, um, taking from there some great advice. Where, how do you look to structure things with clients? Do you use more carbs on the days you're training? Do you try and push carbohydrates around the workout? Would you use carbs intra workout? What's your sort of methodology and approach for focusing on strength? It's a good question. Um, I have only just started working with clients on nutrition. I've more so focused on developing myself as a strength based coach. However, I've built uh, I suppose a wealth of knowledge around how to optimize performance with, with my own nutrition coach. Um, so I work with a guy named Dean McKillop who works uh, with the company flex success. And um, the way we go about things is, is again, looking to optimize body composition as the main task of, of our nutrition. Um, on top of that, we definitely want to gear the way we set up uh, the ratio of, of the macronutrients we take in to bias towards performance, no doubt. So there's obviously protein requirements that don't differ too much from, you know, your bodybuilding athletes. But if we look towards um, carbohydrates versus fats, there's a lot of evidence and there's a lot of, again, anecdote that post, that, that 
points towards carbohydrates being the dominant necessity and the dominant uh, preference for the body in terms of performance and energy, um, the gold standard, so to speak. Um, there's one particular study that I remember being uh, told about by a guy named Alan Aragon, if you know who he is. Um, and he was talking about um, sprinters. And the study was about 200 or 400 meter sprinters. And they were talking about the, the production and reproduction of creatine phosphate in the system, uh, ATP. And they were testing uh, fat-based, so in, the, in terms of their ingestion, so fat-based diets versus carbohydrate-based diets. And carbohydrate-based diets were very superior in performance for sprinters. And yes, that's sprinters, but the systems apply to powerlifting as well. So a lot would point us in the direction of a carbohydrate dominated diet. And that's certainly something that I implement. Um, I've actually gotten to a point where I've been eating a thousand grams of carbs a day. Um, that was when I got up to a hundred kilos body weight, which is pretty extreme. At this point, I sit in about 250 protein, 700 carbs and about 80 fat. Um, that's the ratio I sit on, which is like, I don't know a lot of guys who are eating that much. Yeah, long story short, I try to keep the ratio of carbohydrates as high as I can realistically. You know, there are some ratios which are not realistic. What that's essentially doing for me is it's ensuring that my glycogen stores are pretty much always full. And it means that when I need to perform, there's fuel there to be used and I'm going to last sessions well and my tougher hypertrophy-based uh, sessions I can get through as well. Um, there's always fuel there. And what it also means is that the body for me, I tend to try and keep myself in a mild surplus state most of the time. Um, and whilst, you know, you make comments about, you know, my physique, um, my body fat percentage now is certainly higher than it was before I got into powerlifting. I have a fairly low settling point and I've always been into, you know, sports like rugby. So I've always had the tendency to sit pretty lean. Um, so I guess I'm fortunate in a sense that, you know, I've got reasonable genetics. Um, I've always worked hard to keep a low body fat. And now I'm in a position where I'm able to eat a lot of food and maintain my body weight and not worry too much about putting a little bit of fat on here and there. And I just undulate through a muscle growth process 95% of the year. Um, the thing there though, is I'm open to whatever weight class that puts me in, you know, I'm not trying to keep myself in this certain body weight or that certain body weight. I'm just focused on getting stronger growing muscle and keeping on getting better. And the way I do that is I stay in a carbohydrate dominated surplus the majority of the year. And I, I train to grow a lot of the year. And then when it's time to compete, I specify, I really dial in on my main lifts and I get very good at them. That's, that's like a really simple way to explain the, the things I do, <laughs> you know? That's, uh, that's very, very impressive. I think the carbohydrate intake being so high, I think is very interesting because a lot of people, very much have the thought process that carbs are the devil, uh, when in reality it's the key for performance. So, um, do you do you use into workout carbs out of interest? Is that something that you implement or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, usually it's just something really simple, like a um, like a Gatorade or something like yeah. that, or like a sports drink, right? Uh, something that's like easy to digest. It's not going to bother my stomach. Um, easy to sip on. And when you're having that many uh, that much carbs in a day, you kind of need to to get that in across the day because if you're training for a couple of hours and you haven't had anything um you know you're cramming a lot of that food in at the other times of the day and the other thing i'll quickly touch on is when we look at a carbohydrate dominated or a fat dominated diet um 
the process from a biological perspective is an interesting one. So for uh, dietary fat um, to actually be used as energy, it's first got to be stored as body fat. So that process actually has to occur before it's then liberated as energy in the long-term process of things. Whereas for carbohydrates, the reason it's so appealing from a body composition standpoint is there are a lot more storage capacities for the for carbohydrates in the body before the body even begins to consider storing it as body fat, such as muscle glycogen in the liver, in the bloodstream. And throughout the day, whether training or just normal functions, you're going to be using that available energy um, before it actually has the chance to go through what is quite a difficult process of being stored as body fat. So it's a really appealing way of pushing into a surplus. It's not easy because to avoid taking your fat above say 70 or 80 when you're taking in 10 times that in carbohydrates means there are only very particular foods and you've got to be very disciplined with your choices. Um, you know, even down to how much cooking oil you might use or butter or whatever, you know? So there are definitely some limitations there in lifestyle, but I think that they're worthy, worthy trades for myself um, to get the results I've managed to get. 100%. I think the, um, the proof is in the pudding there very much for that one. So that's some superb advice. I think as well from a digestion point of view, like you're having that many carbohydrates a day and then you start having higher fat as well from a digestive point of view, the fats are going to slow down the digestion of the carbohydrates. So you're, you're really going to struggle to try and consume that amount of food. And exactly. I think that's something people should probably be aware of as well. And um, do you have a, do you have a set like pattern in terms of from like recovery side of things that you focus on from sleep or anything like that? Do you have a set amount you aim for daily? Yeah, definitely. I, I definitely aim for eight to 10 hours of sleep where I can. Um, I've been through phases where I've <laughs> really suffered on sleep because you know, I'm also, I'm also uh, a coach who is very passionate about my business. So I'm working very hard there too. Um, but when I've, when I've got my balance, eight, eight is my minimum uh, that I like to get. Um, and look, I've really learned the power of sleep and recovery. I'd say sleep is the biggest thing, the biggest thing, um, like by a, by a mile. Um, so if I could give a recommendation to people out there who are trying to recover hard, sleep. And don't just sleep eight hours, get to bed uh, at a time that makes sense for your body system. So when we look at um, sleep cycles, you know, we want to try and get to bed, you know, not at one o'clock or two o'clock in the morning, which is common for some people. I know for me for a long time, it was because of my work. Um, so yeah, I've really tried to shuffle my schedule to try and make sure that I can get to sleep at a decent hour. Um, I'm also a bit of a PlayStation fanatic, so I've got to try and keep myself off the game sometimes as well. Um, but I do definitely feel the difference. Uh, I look, I, I keep saying it like, I would say my training cycles that are the best are the ones where I'm getting eight to 10 hours, hands down, always. It's, um, you know? I, uh, had, um, uh, Stan Efferding on the podcast and that's the biggest thing he preached as well was, uh, was sleep. And it was, um, he gave the expression of like, people say, for example, getting up really early to go and do faster cardio as they were and stepping over dollars to collect dimes which i thought was quite a good expression um, <laughs> because uh it's, sleep is so vital for thousands of metabolic functions and for recovery so i think a lot of people yep. often overlook that and just try and plow through with caffeine and all sorts of things so um there's some solid advice there from, from your yep. side of things obviously as uh, you've been in power for a couple of years now and social media has really started to lift off have you seen a bigger impact on on the sport from that Definitely. Um, you know, I probably got into the sport just as it started to take off. 
uh, if you rewind sort of five, six, seven years, there wasn't a lot of chatter about powerlifting. Um, I certainly didn't hear any. And, you know, from about three or four years ago, when I started getting interested in the sport, um, absolutely coincidental, um, it seems that the world has begun to turn from an obsession with body image and started to look more towards the performance. And, um, you know, there's certainly still a big driver into body image and into how we look. Um, and like you've said, if that can go hand in hand, that's wonderful. Um, but I think there's just for a lot of people, there's something more rewarding about the progression in capacity of your body rather than looking in the mirror and having a subjective eye, which is your own looking back at you. Um, you know, there's something objective and, and hard about uh, you've put 10 kilos on your squat max and no one can argue with that, you know? Um, and sure, there are measures to body comp too, like DEXA scans and whatnot. But at the end of the day, you're also just appealing your own eye. Um, not to say there aren't psychological barriers and challenges as an athlete who's, who's trying to get stronger. Um, we all face our own little confidence things and whatnot. And, and that ties in so closely with, with um, social media because, as we know, social media is an absolute highlight reel for, for everyone. I feel some people try to go against that grain, but naturally it is, and that's not a bad thing. But I think it's something that people definitely need to realize uh, and be less harsh on themselves a lot of the time. You know, I think it applies to a lot of parts of our life. Um, but, yeah, I do think that the social media side of things for like a lot of trends, dude, uh, is a big part of the growth. You know, people are loving to see big lifts. They're impressed by it. They want to, they want to be like that. They want to be like a Steffi Cohen or whatever. Right. Um, so yeah, definitely. And I like it. And I think that it's good for us to kind of have that balance of like, you know, I want to look like this. How rewarding is that to me? Or am I going to get stronger and feel more capable? You know, 100%. I think it's some awesome advice. So it's, it's one of those things I think uh, social media gives a great opportunity for people to be inspired and also educated because there's so much freedom of information, uh, whether it be right or wrong. So I think that's, um, is a huge tool. We're all very fortunate to have now. Um, now one thing I have to ask before we start to wrap things up. So obviously as a fellow muscle nation athlete, uh, what are your favorite supplements from muscle nation? What's your favorite, what's your favorite whey flavor? I see the same as mine. Man. Yeah. So like the, the, the two supplements that I slam, um, are the protein powder and then the protein custard and look the protein powder there's two one is is hattie's um chocolate hazelnut. yeah it's good banger so good and the second one is is choc honeycomb that's the, that's the one i was gonna say is my favorite and i haven't had it for ages yeah so i'm a big chocolate fan but i must say um absolute hands down favorite supplement i'm so every time i have the custard man i'm so impressed <laughs> Like it, it's one of those things where I remember initially I tried it and I tried it on water and that I wasn't a fan and I was like, ah, yeah, whatever. And then I tried it on milk and I could not believe I, I genuinely joke about how I'm like, I'm sure this isn't a protein powder. I'm sure this is just like a snack and they're just lying to us all. And there's no protein in this because it just tastes, it actually tastes so good. You know, um, got to the point where like I've had to order more because my missus just slams it all the time as well. <laughs> I, uh, um, so, admittedly, I have never ever tried it with milk. I've only ever tried it with water. So this could be exciting. Oh, dude, man. It's, a, it's, a, it's a so different. So different. Um, because yeah, you just get such a, like so much more creamy taste. Um, it's like, it's like when you have a protein shake, like personally, I will very rarely have a protein shake on water, mostly on milk. Um, 
just for taste reasons, you know? So yeah, no, I love, I love the, I love both the custard and the protein powder. I think they're killing it. I have to give that. A go. I'm gonna have to give that a go. That's gonna be a gonna be a must for me. I think to try and bring that in. Um, yeah, man. In terms the of vanilla, the chocolate, and the custard are, are my favourites. Vanilla and the and the chocolate as well. The chocolate honeycomb way is literally like my favourite, probably protein powder I've ever had in my life. And I actually yeah. done training like twice a day in the summer because I was super lean at that point and I just wanted to eat it more. So I was like, I wanted to have my pre workout meal twice. So I was like, I should do double day training sessions. I look back now and I was like, that was definitely why. Um, <laughs> So yeah, it's it's a hundred percent. It's a it's a sick product. I'd highly recommend that. Yeah, they're doing well. They're doing great. It's awesome to see. You know. Mm. So what what's up next for you, Matt? In terms of plans for the future, like obviously we're in the lockdown situation at the moment. I know you're crushing it at your parents' garage with your home setup. And um, what's what's the plans for the future when the world reopens in terms of powerlifting goals, aspirations? Yeah. So on on a personal level with my lifting, uh, I'm training really hard. I want to chase down a 300 kilo squat. I want to chase down a 300 kilo deadlift. Um, those are two big goals. My bench press is still going to move as well. And that's definitely still there, but really big pushes right now are on the squat and the deadlift. Um, I'd be one of a few people under hundred kilos in Australia to squat 300 if I did that naturally. Um, so definitely a big goal there. Um, as for, uh, business um, definitely at the moment whilst we're in lockdown building a bit of a waiting list because a lot of people are restricted with what they can use um, and being a powerlifting coach I'm staying true to that um, I'm still obviously taking care of my current clients but a lot of new clients are tending to just hold off until the gyms are reopened and we're going to kick on from there um, into the future man I'm, I'm really interested um, in, in, in Australia or in, in South Wales uh, not far from where I live is the Central Coast, which is, you know, a nice coastal area. Uh, I'd really like to move there and, um, you know, have a nice little home set up. Like, you know, what what I've been doing now has kind of mo- motivated me to set something up at home in the future um, and have something where I can train, you know, away from the gyms here and there and in the, in the peace and quiet. Um, so I'd love to do that. Long-term goal, man, I'd love to have a space of my own, a gym of my own, definitely. Um, but that's a little further into the pipeline, but always on my mind. That's awesome. That's awesome. So thank you so much for your time today, Matt. Uh, it's truly awesome conversation, all things strength. So for novices, how to get strong, advanced litters, how to maybe transition into strength training and also probably how to like focus on optimizing your nutrition for uh, getting stronger, improving performance. Um, for anyone who wants to reach out and find out some more information about you, Matt, where's the best place to get in touch? Best place is Instagram, honestly, at Matt Bartholomew. I think there's an underscore at the start there, so underscore Matt Bartholomew. Um, man, I'm, I'm pretty active on my DMs. If you guys shoot through or, or comment on any posts, uh, I'd love to have a chat if you want to talk about some informative stuff or some lifting stuff. And, of course, if you're interested in, in jumping into the sport, I'd be happy to help guide you, and, and whether that's through me or I've got a lot of connections around the world and around Australia if, if someone else is a better suit um so yeah if anyone's interested in a chat please reach out more than happy and thank you so much for having me on uh i think that uh it's really cool to talk about this stuff and i guess to be on the forefront so to speak of the movement uh and to hopefully help a few people a few listeners out there who might be on the cusp of deciding where they're going with things and so hopefully you don't make the mistakes that we've made i guess and we can help you i guess look through things with a little more clarity um and yeah if this helps anyone reach out let us know it'd be good to know yeah, this is the whole point of like sharing the information so like someone like Matt has to help you accelerate through your journey. So um, thank you so much for your time today, Matt. 
Guys, if you absolutely love this podcast, which I'm sure you did, please make sure you leave us a five-star review on iTunes and subscribe to the podcast. And also tag myself and Matt in the podcast on your Instagram stories or Facebook if you enjoyed it. So thank you so much for your time today, Matt, and I hope you enjoy the evening time now in Australia. Pleasure, mate. Cheers. Now that was an absolutely killer episode of the Powercast. Hope you guys absolutely loved it. Now I want to fill you in something I put together which is absolutely incredible to help you not just survive during this quarantine, but actually thrive and come out of the situation in your best shape ever. So I appreciate a lot of people are really struggling at the moment in terms of knowing how to train from home, knowing how to stick to their diet when stuck in the house. There's ladies in lockdown, guys stuck in the house. There's a lot of issues going on here. And I wanted to come forward to help you guys and girls come out of the situation as a success. Now, what I have done is completely revamped my world-famous Shrednate and Sculptionate programs. And what's even more exciting about this is I've given you 77% off on the price of the program. So normally it costs £149 or 200 US dollars. Now you can sign up for just £37 per month or 45 US dollars. And what's better, you can actually lock this price in for the rest of the year to see a new training program and new diet every eight weeks. Now the new versions of the program are fully home workout based, just using your body weight and some basic bands. These will get you the normal world famous results that you get on Shrednate and Sculptinate, so you come out of this situation in the best shape ever. If you'd like to get involved, please click the link below in the podcast notes or drop me a message with any questions. We'd love to have you not just another client of Shrednate and Sculptinate, but another success story.